Today, we're excited to be speaking with Professor Gabor Chani uh, from the University of Cambridge. He is an expert in atomistic simulation, particularly in multi-scale modeling that couples quantum mechanics to larger length scales. In recent years, he's been one of the leading pioneers in using machine learning methods for molecular simulation, so particularly in molecular dynamics. And we're very excited to be talking to him today about the origins of this work and his thoughts on the great potential for this type of interdisciplinary research. This is the Materials and Megabytes podcast. So welcome and thank you for joining us. Um, so maybe we can get started with how did you get interested in using machine learning for um, material science, physics, and chemistry type applications? Okay, thank you for having me. Um, I've been interested in, in computation uh, and materials, uh, computation for materials for a long time and started uh, really uh, on the electronic structure side of mm -hmm. things. Uh, and did some work on uh, density functional theory applications, mostly. And around um, 2000 and few, uh, became quite frustrated at talking to experimentalists who kept asking me to do simulations, which I couldn't do. You know, uh, nanotubes were hot, graphene was hot at the time, and and, they, and mechanisms were being... Um, observed in TEMs, and people wanted to do dynamical simulations of big systems for timescales, which my community couldn't access. So this, right. Right, this is different from, um, from biology or uh, biochemistry, where, of course, those timescales were at the forefront of everyone's mind anyway already. Mm -hmm. We got away with electronic structure simulations of 100 atoms, doing relaxations and barriers and, you know, little statics right. for a long time. And, and density functional theory excelled at that. But, but when you want to see how a nanotube is growing right. or you want to see how a, a film of amorphous carbon is, is deposited one atom at a time, mm -hmm. uh, then you, that's really a, a, a limit. And, and, it's, not a li and it's, it's something that you want to do that's not... 20 orders of magnitude out of your way. Mm -hmm. Just five. Right. Or three. Right. Right. So, so it, seems like it seems like it's doable. It's right. all I want to do is a thousand atoms for a million time steps. Mm -hmm. But you can't do that with electronic structure. And, um, and of course, how, how have people been doing these simulations before? Is they were using empirical potentials. Right. And fine, and you cook up a potential for something, and it has some very basic physics, correct, like valence and number of neighbors your atoms want to have, and so on. And a lot of good science was done with empirical potentials, especially mm -hmm. trends. Right. So if you look at metals, you can make all these EAM potentials, and they have small changes in them reflect trends in metals. But you're not actually predicting anything numerically. Mm -hmm. You're not saying, you know, this is what you're going to observe in an experiment for that particular material. And we got, I got used to that from density functional theory, right? That's what, finally, this, this was a very romantic idea of sitting in front of a computer, doing some calculations, looking at generating these pictures. And, mm -hmm. and actually, that's the truth. Right. <laughs> to a good enough extent that, right. that you can really go and... That the numbers mean something. They, 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 they are corresponding with what's in the lab. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not just some verification of some theory, mm -hmm. uh, some uh, supporting evidence for an idea. 
But right. that is actually what's going on. Right. And that's, that's what elevated electronic structure in the materials world from an esoteric theory to, a, to, to almost engineering. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I'm in an engineering department, actually. Right. Uh, so, and, and because you can do, but so, so, it was, so it's really the speed. And then I had a friend, his name is uh, Rishi Kondor. Uh, we grew up together in, in Budapest. Uh, and then he went to Cambridge also. Now he's at, in Chicago. And, and he, sta- he got me interested in, um, in machine learning mm-hmm. just because that's what he did. And he was telling you know, his friends, talk, right? And basically he told me that the way they work is that you have this complicated function and you fit stuff. Mm-hmm. And I said, really? That's, that's what I want to do. That's what I need to do. Um, I have complicated functions that cost a huge amount of computational effort mm-hmm. to calculate. And, um, but I can calculate it for any given configuration of atoms. Right. Give me a, uh, give me a fit for that. Right. So it's so like a missing piece. Well, that's because I wasn't well read, right? So if, if, of course, engineers have been doing surrogate modeling for decades and Gaussian process modeling was there are books about that, but mm-hmm. I didn't know that. So, right. So, the, and, and I think that's also true for the field is that all these things were being done in different fields right. and not being people were well versed in a particular aspect of a particular set of techniques mm-hmm. and not, um, uh, sort of not, not recognizing that they have fellow, uh, scientists elsewhere doing similar things. And, and that's what I felt that the, the 2000s were, is this sort of um, mutual discovery of, of everybody. And, and some people were prescient in that I mean, and, and connecting these fields earlier than others. But certainly it was, it was Rishi's um, uh, sort of influence that, that made us think about how to apply this to, uh, to atoms. And and really, we immediately started to think about um, symmetries. So that's that's what the physicists that was for us. That and I did at that time. I didn't even know about the chemists mm-hmm. who have been also uh, working, also right? working, but of course focused on molecules. Mm-hmm. And now that I look back, there were sort of very key things that the chemists, because they were working on given molecule, could assume that just wouldn't make sense in the materials context. Right. So we were very lucky that so we meet that we immediately started to think about how do we apply these two materials, not knowing what had gone on before, which would not have helped very much, actually, mm-hmm. because we needed to think about how to even describe, uh, how to do, how to describe uh, the, the environment of an atom to, rep- to represent it somehow. And this is where Rishi's interests have developed his working on representation theory. So that's really interesting. I was wondering if I could ask a follow-up question, which is, what do you see as some of the differences in um, how the, the chemis- chemistry problem is posed and, and what it is for material science? So, so the, 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 the chemical fitting problem or surrogate problem um, had a very, very specific purpose. So they, uh, the chemists, quantum chemists, wanted to uh, do spectroscopy, for which they needed extremely accurate uh, potentials. Uh, and but but and they were doing it for very small systems. Again, mm-hmm. this goes back to the late to mid nineties, and computational capacity was significantly lower. Um, and they 
it was useless for them if it wasn't extremely accurate. Mm -hmm. So they went in a set of different directions that that um, they, each each molecule. I'm thinking of particularly the work of um, uh, Joel Bowman and uh, Bastian Brahms, mm -hmm. uh, who uh, took a molecule, a small molecule, a small molecular assembly, and uh, symmetrized uh, their, their coordinates and uh, and made extremely accurate fits. Uh, but that technology did not didn't extend. It wasn't an extensible system. You couldn't do that to a hundred atoms okay. because of, of exponential scaling of the way they symmetrize stuff. Mm -hmm. And in the materials community, we don't actually need that accuracy. Right. Right. So we, um, we need more accuracy than we currently have, but only by a, f a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, right. You don't need to, to hug the potential energy surface uh, that closely as you do for spectroscopy. So that I felt that there was a lot more playground Mm -hmm. uh, to there's a lot more uh, things you could do if you just got, made potentials that were just a bit more accurate than than what you had uh, up to now, and this idea of bond breaking, right? So the, mm -hmm. for the chemistry, all of the almost all of the, that early work was uh, was to do with uh, intermolecular interactions, weak right. interactions. Mm -hmm. That's those are, those are difficult, but it didn't involve bond breaking, right? Mm -hmm. If you want to break bonds, even the quantum chemistry gets hairy. Right. Um, whereas in materials. You don't even play if you don't break bonds, right? right? That's, it's all about bond breaking. Although that's also very difficult right now for a lot of interatomic potentials. So it's well, kind of a limited set of interatomic No, well, I wouldn't say that. Uh, in the materials world, you don't... Every potential is, uh, breaks bonds, right? They, they don't, they're not harmonic, right? right? I mean, if you think of the, the, the old classics, the Leonard-Jones model reparametrized, originally it was for uh, uh, noble gases, but of course... It's just a pair potential mm -hmm. that smoothly goes to zero. Mm -hmm. So you can simulate a liquid with it where you break bonds at every time step. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's, um, and, and every uh, uh, materials model, uh, or almost all the materials models, empirical models, are, are smooth right. as you move atoms far I away. See. So like it has the ability to capture whether or not it does it accurately. Yeah, it, uh, it that's right. So right. sure. Mm -hmm. But, but th that's what they set out to do. Right. Right. Uh, right. Mm -hmm. So, the, the, in fact, the, 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 I would say that the potentials in materials world which don't break bonds are niche. Mm -hmm. So you have, you have some use for them. You make a force constant model to reproduce a phonon spectrum of material that you don't need to break bonds. But that's that's a very niche. Mm -hmm. the, the general world of interatomic potentials mm -hmm. is for bond breaking. Okay. So uh, kind of as a, as a side note to that, so one of the things I work with is um, the ReactSF potential, and mm -hmm. we use it to model high temperature, high pressure, hydrocarbon chemistry. Yeah. And, um, and one of the things that we see when we uh, compare it with, for example, ab initio with using VASP, is that the bond breaking and forming behavior is quite different. Mm -hmm. um, so actually kind of related to that, so you know, if we were to try to kind of build a, a new um, fit to the potential energy surface, we'd want to kind of make sure that we were able to learn the correct kind of... Yeah, no, I mean, REACT-SFF is mm -hmm. the, the, you know, the most, uh, the, 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 the pinnacle attempt uh, of, the, of, the, of the previous generation, right? So you, you, you know a huge amount of chemistry, you know, uh, you try to describe all the things that you know about uh, bond orders and charge states and uh, all of that, and you try to build all of that in, and um, and in the end, 
you get something that can that's not that's not insane. It has the right valences, but but ultimately you don't have the accuracy, mm-hmm. and and that's because these functional forms, the real quantum mechanical potential energy surfaces, do not easily decompose mm-hmm. uh, into these functional into the simple functional forms uh, of um, that people use, mm-hmm. uh, and and so that's that that that's where. Uh, the, the the idea that I think that that machine learning brings to um, uh, to potentials is is to free up the functional form mm-hmm. to to admit that mm-hmm. that actually we don't know the functional form mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so use of these universal approximators like neural networks artificial mm-hmm. neural networks or Gaussian processes um, let us be agnostic about the functional form mm-hmm. on the other side of that, though, you got to constrain the fit somehow, right. because because it's not enough to throw a universal approximator at the problem of several hundred dimension. Mm-hmm. That's a very rough. That's not a formal notion, but if you think about what the uh, how many atoms have influence on another atom, mm-hmm. the neighborhood of an atom is is dozens of other atoms and so each of them has three coordinates so Mm -hmm. you're looking at many dozens of dimensions and and that's a very large space Mm -hmm. and if you say i'm going to have an arbitrary function in Mm -hmm. such a large space then that's that has the curse of dimensionality so immediately you need an immense amount of data which you can't have and your dynamics is going to take you to places in that high dimensional space where you did not take data and you did not make that part of the fit and therefore mm-hmm. your predictions are going to be bogus. Mm-hmm. So so you have to somehow constrain that fit. Mm-hmm. And that I think is what this this field is all about. Is mm-hmm. how what's the best way and people complain a lot of course about um, the missing physics or right. missing physics. But but that's in some very broad brush sense, that is absolutely the right question to ask. Is mm-hmm. how to put back the how to retain the physics and chemistry, mm-hmm. but but only the essential bit, right. not the uh, functional forms that aren't actually right. Mm-hmm. But how do you make sure, how do you ensure that your, the potential is, uh, is always repulsive mm-hmm. when, when atoms come close to one another? That's not easy to do in high dimension. Right. So- Actually, if I could follow up on that, this is one of um, the really interesting things is when we're trying to learn a um, a potential energy surface, there's kind of singularities in there. So if you have two atoms, for example, that are right on top of each other, then then the energy blows up. Um, And so, of course, if we're using kind of dynamics to generate data to train this, we're we're generally not going to be in that regime, um, but we should be able to kind of capture the slope as we get closer and closer to that. And so... I guess so. But, how, but that's how a, that's a super that? important point, right? Mm-hmm. And, and actually, it's a much broader point too. Um, and it reminds me of a quote from uh, from the late David Mackay, in some sense, the uh, giant, a giant figure in in this um, whole field of statistical learning. And he said that, um, and I'm sort of paraphrasing here. He said that if you want to fit a, if you want to learn about the probability distribution, mm-hmm. in a sense, uh, you can one could think of a potential energy surface. Once you have a Boltzmann factor as a probability distribution, um, if you want to learn about the probability distribution, it's not enough to have samples where the probability is high. Right. You also need to know where it's low. Right. Right. So because otherwise you haven't characterized it well enough fully, right. and mm-hmm. 
And that's very hard to do when all you have is a, a process that generates samples proportional to the probability, right, because, exactly. right, which all of us <laughs> use, right? right. Dynamic MC or MD, mm-hmm. molecular dynamics, any kind of Monte Carlo scheme mm-hmm. is going to be biased do important sampling mm-hmm. and be biased towards places where the potential energy is low. Mm-hmm. So if 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 you uh, generate data mm-hmm. with uh, suppose you you invest a lot of effort and you generate data with your target probability distribution mm-hmm. and you hand it over to me and say fit this. Right. I, that is wrong. Right. Because whatever I do, mm-hmm. I will I know I will not have data where that potential energy surface was high. Right. And therefore, how can my fit know that? Right. And so I think that, that so there are two answers to that. One of them is to try and build in some chemistry mm-hmm. uh, and, and basically say, look, I, I know some principles mm-hmm. of where the singularities are mm-hmm. and, and you should build that in. Um, that's not easy to mesh that with being functional form-free, of course. Right. But the second issue, and I think everyone has to sooner or later has to admit to doing that is to is to do active learning a bit of iterative training is okay. another way to say it is that i make a potential uh, that's trained on some data and then i sample with that potential mm-hmm. and that will root out the regions of phase space where my potential predicts an energy that's far lower than it should be mm-hmm. and therefore i get samples there which i shouldn't okay. and then you and then reevaluate and fold that back into the training set and therefore you improve. So I think some sort of iterative aspect uh, cannot be avoided mm-hmm. because, uh, because, we, because we can only generate samples using stochastic processes okay. and they favor places where uh, the probability is high. And if we have an iterative process, how do we know, how do we think about when we're done? Well, you, you, you hit the nail on the head, right? I mean, that's the, that's the issue. So, uh, what, so one of, one of the, the most interesting things that's happening now, so right in the past 10 years, we've established some technology to, to put in some amount of chemistry, so symmetries, permutational, rotational symmetries, and everybody agrees now that those need to be built in. Um, and we have potentials that have been iteratively trained and have, that have some success. I think the next stage, for me certainly, is to, and this is why I'm here, we are talking at the, the SIAM meeting, um, which is, of course, mostly mathematicians. Right. So I'm talking to numerical analysts. Mm-hmm. Um, foremost among them is Christoph Ordner mm-hmm. uh, in Warwick. And, and those guys are, their background, they're, they're obsessed with convergence mm-hmm. and, and error estimates. Right. And, and that's a very good, um, uh, that's a very good attitude. We might not reach it. We might not establish theorems about formal theorems of convergence, but but we do worry about it. Mm. And I think it pushes us into um, uh, towards methods and towards uh, tests that that we wouldn't do otherwise. So this this touches upon um, the very key and often the concept that it's often repeated, but people understand different things uh, when they say it is the concept of transferability. Yes. Let me illustrate that with a, with a couple of different ways as people use that word. So, if you fit 
an empirical analytical model mm. that you know is not its job is not to capture the exact potential energy surface. In fact, you've designed it so simple that it possibly cannot do that. Mm. Its job is to capture something about the system and it's fitted to reproduce some experimental observables. Mm -hmm. And a, a very good example, a recent example that I came across is, um, is, is, is the model of, uh, for hydrocarbons, the trappy uh, pair potential. It's just the Leonard-Jones potential with, with mm -hmm. certain epsilon and sigma. And you can fit that, fit those two parameters to capture the density of methane mm -hmm. at, um, at some temperature and pressure. Mm -hmm. It's not the right potential energy surface. Mm -hmm. It captures something essential about it. Mm -hmm. Methanes repel each other if you push them too close. They attract each other through one of us if you pull them apart. Mm -hmm. But now the question of, now you can ask the question of transferability. If I go and measure or simulate and predict, try to predict the uh, density of methane at a different pressure and temperature mm -hmm. where I took the data, right. then does my model give the right answer or close to it? Or how, how, and this is the question of how transferable is the model from one state point to another? Mm -hmm. and, and this pair potential uh, is in, for methane is spectacularly successful for predicting the density. So you can fit it Mm -hmm. So that at the wide range of densities and pressures, mm -hmm. the model is transferable. And do now, we understand why? Uh, well, I don't. Um, mathematically, we don't, okay. but it's an observation. Okay. And what we also know is that this does not mean that that potential is right, okay. right, in the sense that it gives you the quantum chemical energy of two methanes, and you right. can sort of very easily see that you mm -hmm. compute the energy of two methanes as a function of distance with coupled cluster theory, mm -hmm. and it's different. Right. <laughs> it has to be, right? Because mm -hmm. it's orientationally dependent, and the trappy pair potential is only depends on the distance of the carbon. Mm -hmm. So it's an example of transferability that's an effective transferability. Mm -hmm. uh, then um, you can move into uh, the world of um, potential energy surface fits, which do try to capture mm -hmm. uh, the potential, the actual potential energy surface. So that's the machine learned models mm -hmm. uh, that we use try to do that and now that the whole notion of transferability takes on a on a different meaning because you're not asking about different state points you're saying i fit but so, so, so mathematically you're asking a different question but but it comes from the same desire that i took data somewhere mm -hmm. using some process mm -hmm. i have assembled the data set i fitted something what happens when I use that potential in other contexts? Right. Uh, and, and, right? and that's the question. But, but mathematically, you're asking something different. You're asking about um, interpolation right. of a function versus extrapolation of a right. function. Now, those concepts are very, very um, uh, finicky in high dimension. Right. So if you're in very high dimension... Everything is extra You could think everything is extrapolation, right? Um, because all the so, points are so far yeah, apart from each other. Yeah, they're not far. They're, they're too many different directions. Yes. In fact, they're, not, they're equally far. Right. Every point is equally far. Right. On the limit of high dimension, every point is equally far from any other point. For mm -hmm. for most points, mm -hmm. so so it's so it's not a question of distance. It's a question of direction. Um, and really, what you're asking is how have you explored the different directions, um, and that's where 
that I think is in some ways the 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 biggest problem. So the biggest problem with with high dimensional fits is what happens when uh, when you go uh, when you go away from the uh, the places where you fit it, um, and and the only way you can help this is either by imposing extra symmetries, mm-hmm. extra chemical knowledge, mm-hmm. something some constraints about the function that make it do the right thing mm-hmm. even where you didn't uh, fit, mm-hmm. um, or you can do active learning, you can en- enhance the database, but how do you know that you've gone out and when does that ever stop and mm-hmm. so on? Um, or you can try and lower the dimensionality. Mm-hmm. So that's somewhere in between the two worlds. If you recognize that high dimensionality is a problem, have you picked the best variables? Can you go down to a lower number, fewer variables, yet still capture the potential energy surface? Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that's, that's really the, uh, the, the... But there's... But there's a lot of um, there's another there's a third way third sense in which transferability is used, which is application transferability. So imagine that I have a database of electronic structure calculations for a material, which captures a wide range of local environments. Mm-hmm. I collect them by um, calculating the uh, potential energy of very small unit cells, which are widely varying. Mm-hmm. And now I go to a big simulation box, a million atoms, Mm -hmm. which has some superstructure in it that I'm interested in. It has a dislocation. It has a crack. It has some. And you can ask whether that large system, although never part of the database as such, Mm -hmm. is it composed of local environments, which are nevertheless well represented? And I think here we are doing very well. So that's an area where I can... Say, I can capture all the local environments in Mm -hmm. some small database, Mm -hmm. but the way they combine together to give some macroscopic effect, the the motion of a dislocation, and the whole structure of a dislocation is a competition between long-range strain and local chemistry at the core. Both of those are not so high-dimensional things. Mm -hmm. Local strain can be captured over a wide range of strains, Mm -hmm. just move around the unit cell a little bit, the core of a dislocation can be captured in a small unit cell mm-hmm. by studying stacking faults and gamma surfaces and so on. And mm-hmm. if you capture those sufficiently accurately, mm-hmm. individually, then mm-hmm. when you combine them together mm-hmm. and they conspire to equilibrate with one another to yeah. give you some uh, property, overall. overall property of a dislocation, mm-hmm. which is the unknown thing that you ultimately want, right. I think that works. Yeah. And I that's th- where we had... I think that's Some fascinating successes. that you say that because one of the one of the patterns that um, I think has been emerging in, in machine learning is is often in, in material science we're trying to capture a property of a very large system and and the problem is that we can't calculate the whole system um, but if we can break that system apart into pieces as you say yeah. like the local pieces if if there is a way to use physics to understand what are the local pieces that can then be meaningfully recombined into the large system then we have like a, a path towards success that, that's right. but yeah. the, I think so. One thing I'm I'm curious about is, um, so in in your case, do you see that, for example, if I if you have a dislocation, how do we capture the long range effects when we're trying to stitch together these like local? No, no. So the long range effects uh, are actually so for dislocations, mm-hmm. the long range effects are strain and relaxation mediated, right? So okay. so in fact, the long range uh, structure is a result 
of the logo. Of the competition. And all you need to capture is what is the end. If you have good elastic constants, mm -hmm. and so that's, for example, in, in, in basic uh, materials modeling, empirical potentials did not reach a standard where I could give you an arbitrary set of elastic constants mm -hmm. that were measured experimentally or with density functional theory. Mm -hmm. Please make me an interatomic potential model that It's very simple, doesn't mm -hmm. do any bond breaking, doesn't anything. Mm -hmm. All it all I'm asking is it should have the right elastic constants. Mm -hmm. That's not possible okay. with an interatomic. There's there are no simple in, um, empirical analytical potentials mm -hmm. which can match an arbitrary elastic constant matrix. Mm -hmm. And that task with the machine learned force fields mm -hmm. is 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 a toy problem. Okay. Anybody can do that. Mm -hmm. Right. You don't any neural network, any any uh, We're not even talking about how uh, uh, it doesn't have a lot of large data requirement. Mm -hmm. it, it, you don't need to be very sophisticated, and sudden and already you've kept, you've done mm -hmm. you've achieved something more because of the the property of being a universal approximator. Okay. Uh, there's it's a six dimensional problem moving mm -hmm. the lattice vector in mm -hmm. lengthened angles between the lattice vectors. Mm -hmm. Fitting a six dimensional function is not a complicated thing by you know, uh, for, for these machine learned models. Mm -hmm. And there you've already captured something mm -hmm. that, that, um, that are simple potentials cannot. Mm -hmm. And so when you trade that off against the actually more complicated chemistry of the core, mm -hmm. which is still manageable, mm -hmm. then now when you let the system relax, mm -hmm. that interaction is what gives rise to the long range. I see. So this idea of long range, not strain mediated, but, um, But electrostatic interactions is mm -hmm. actually the big one of the bigger outstanding problems for machine learned potentials. Mm -hmm. So the the, the 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 high dimensional fits need to be local. Right. So that's right. The, I can't um, make the energy of an atom uh, depend on an arbitrary number of uh, neighbors, and that's perfectly fine uh, for non. For local interactions, right. but as long as, it, and that includes Van der Waals, right? It's local enough, mm -hmm. but um, electrostatic interactions are very long range. Mm -hmm. You cannot possibly uh, make a, a machine learned model that looks at the entire system right. and returns to you the local dipole. The thing to do is to is again bring in the physics. Mm -hmm. So what you want to do is reduce the problem to learning local quantities. Mm -hmm. Now, what are the local quantities? Is the response functions. Uh, so what okay. we want to do, nobody has really done this in anger, but what you want to do is, is learn the polarizability and the dipole, quadrupole, and higher polarizabilities. And then you, you learn them as they depend on the local environment, mm -hmm. and then you do an electrostatic uh, calculation given the response functions. Yes. So again, the, the chemists have done this for isolated molecules, mm -hmm. and chemists can calculate uh, the, the, the response functions for molecules very accurately, and you know, it's a very well-developed, mature field. In solids, it isn't. Right. Partly because of the, 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 the periodicity makes it undefined, and there's whole sorts of uh, theoretical problems, mm -hmm. uh, but, but that's the only route, I think, to to capturing long-range interactions. If you look at the uh, current development, the, the development so far in, in potentials, there are very f there are hardly any potentials for oxides. And yet, that's, that's the... Such an important thing. That's just such an important thing. That's, if you're going to do anything, let's <laughs> do oxides. 
And yeah, so that's, that's, that's what I want to do in the next few years, is, is to attack that problem. So uh, having worked very closely with machine learning um, and, and, and mathematicians and theorists, what do you think um, we can do to kind of advance the collaboration between these two fields? So how, how can we help each other? How can the theorists help um, the physicists and chemists and material scientists solve their problems? And how can the material scientists, physicists, and chemists um, kind of help theorists uh, advanced development of machine learning solutions to problems in their field. So, I, in some respects, this is no different from from sort of connecting any other fields, that, where you need people from from each side being sort of bored of their own field or bored of doing same old stuff and and take a real deep interest in uh, in the other uh, in the other field. And and because this is technology transfer, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not using any technique. In machine learning, that isn't textbook for the computer scientist. Mm-hmm. I'm using the techniques, but in new ways. So I need to go back and um, and talk to computer scientists all the time, saying, "How do you do this? Mm-hmm. We have this problem. What 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 do you do?" And then they mm-hmm. pull out a paper that's sometimes thirty years old right. and sometimes a year old, right? right? So so it's it's a mixture. Mm-hmm. But but that's the uh, but but then there's the um, in particular, if in machine learning and, and, and chemistry and materials, uh, there's the issue of synchronizing cultures. Right. So, for example, one of the fascinating things here was that um, the level of accuracy mm-hmm. required. Mm-hmm. So, if you to think about very classic problems in uh, in computer science, face recognition, right. um, if you... Uh, have a sixty percent success rate, right. then yeah, it's kind of theoretically interesting. Success. Theoretically, it's some success, but not great. If you get to ninety nine percent, wow! And all the airports now have right. Uh, they right? start selling the technology. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's a breakthrough. Ninety nine percent accuracy in the energy in the binding energy of atoms mm-hmm. is actually very boring. It's uninteresting. Okay. Right, because I can get that with traditional methods. Right. So actually. One of the uh, interesting uh, cultural issues here was that we need, you know, one part in ten thousand accuracy, right. and and also accuracy that's not statistical, right. uh, to some extent, right? So I can't tolerate mm-hmm. once every thousand times right. an enormous error. Right, everything has to be. There has to, be, but, but right. that's very hard, right? right. So the, from the statistical learning perspective, yes. glo- uh, global error bounds don't exist. Right. Glo- hard, hard error bounds. Right. So that's uh, that's a very interesting cultural change. Another cultural change is what do we call efficient? Right. So um, my colleagues in machine learning uh, group in engineering mm-hmm. work on their laptops, uh, and if something doesn't run on their laptop, they don't look at it. They, right. they, that method is not viable. Right. When I run a uh, when I do a fit with a Gaussian process. Mm-hmm. I make a matrix that's half a million by 20,000 and I use a computer with one and a half terabyte of memory, which Mm -hmm. I bought for this purpose to to solve a linear system and it takes two days. And that's a fit. Because the problem is so important because I've been working on trying to make a fit for the silicon system for 10 years. So making a fit take two days is par for the course, right? right? So we, we so we have very different culture in what is acceptable and what isn't in terms of computational cost, mm-hmm. what target accuracies we want, mm-hmm. and 
and accept. And and I think when computer scientists if, when computer scientists want to ha- want to enter this field, they have mm-hmm. to um, uh, educate themselves mm-hmm. in some of these cultures and mm-hmm. requirements. Mm-hmm. Because and and one way to say this is that. Uh, people have done, uh, just like the engineers, I guess, for no- traditional signal processing, mm-hmm. there is a lot of analytical work, prior work, mm-hmm. non, non-machine learning type right. work, which, which needs to be uh, held in as a, as a starting point, as a benchmark. And needs to be, you need to be better than that. And right. you need to look for problems where those things really fail, like the oxides. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think these kinds of dialogue um, uh, really needs to happen there. Too many. Um, every now and then, I run into somebody who says, "You know, we uh, we got ninety nine percent accuracy on this model problem, so this is solved. Let's right. move on." Whereas <laughs> for us, that was just a toy problem. <laughs> we just got started. <laughs> we just got started. Exactly. So there's this famous uh, data set of one hundred thirty four thousand uh, organic molecules mm-hmm. and their atomization energies. Um, I think the lead author on the data set paper was um, Anatole von Lilienfeld, and lots of us have attempted to and try to fit that data set and mm-hmm. and the competition in getting it as good as possible um, uh, predicted as well as possible has spurred on interesting developments but it, that's not a task that's on its own is valuable right. it, it had, making that fit work well mm-hmm. doesn't give you a model that you can use to do something mm-hmm. that tells you something about your kernel being good or your mm-hmm. architecture for your network being good and now you can go and maybe attack a real problem right. <laughs> so I, I think there's a lot of us are in this for the long term mm-hmm. i mean w- when um, when i think of a new method or I, someone tells me about a new thing i try it out on problems that i've been attacking for many years mm-hmm. a- and i still need, we still need to get better on them our problems mm-hmm. are longer term mm-hmm. uh, not uh, not not short term so i think there's a lot of cultural difference that one needs to be aware of. And, and speaking of that kind of um, that long-term perspective to solving these types of problems, what, what do you re- recommend students do? Do you think that there should be um, kind of a, a, a new group of scientists who are trained in both fields, or do you think that students should concentrate on one or the other and then learn enough about you know, the, the other sides to work together kind of effectively? I think that, I think that depends a lot on which... Um, uh, sort of which, which educational system you come through. Let's talk about graduate. I mean, let's talk mm-hmm. about the graduate level, right? Okay. So, so in the U.S., uh, graduate courses are longer, mm-hmm. uh, so there is a chance mm-hmm. for graduate students to seriously immerse themselves, take a couple of serious courses in chemistry, mm-hmm. but also take be serious about uh, computer science mm-hmm. because there is time for that. Mm-hmm. Um, in Europe uh, and in England, uh, where I work. Uh, graduate studies are shorter, mm-hmm. uh, so uh, necessarily we have uh, we have fewer people who are well versed in in both fields, and mm-hmm. that's a problem. Mm-hmm. So I either have chemists mm-hmm. who have picked up a little bit of computer science, or we have computer scientists who don't have the background in chemistry. And mm-hmm. uh, so in, uh, I think that that immersion in the in both fields mm-hmm. is is really the only way to. Uh, to to progress and and I myself am come from the, I, I my background is in solid state mm-hmm. um, electronic structure and materials modeling and I'm I'm picking up the uh, the the computer science and the machine learning slowly and mm-hmm. painfully and and every every year I 
I, I think back in horror how stupid <laughs> I was five years ago not to understand what obviously everybody does. But you're one of the uh, leaders in this field. And, yeah, and you know, this year, thinking about dimensionality, and I think, how could we possibly not see that <laughs> 10 years ago? But you know, there and you This are. is science. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. This has been fascinating. Um, and, you know, if we if we had more time, we could just go on forever. I hope we can have you back at another season. Um, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Materials and Megabytes podcast. We look forward to having you join us again next time.